That is, of course, our meditation this morning around the Lord's table. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. I love when the songs we sing get right at the theology. And we were singing that wonderful song in Christ alone and there is that line in there, here in the death of Christ I live. Someone who may not know the gospel or understand Christianity might even ask that question. What do you mean that you live? I mean, physically we are headed toward the inevitable death. A non-Christian might look at the Christian and Ask the question honestly, how is it that you can say in the crucifixion of an historical figure 2,000 years ago, you live? How is it you live in his seemingly ignominious death? And it is, of course, because of the great work about which Dan was praying moments ago, the work of the Holy Spirit. When Paul had to confront his friend Peter in Galatians 2, it was because the gospel was being misrepresented. The gospel was being misrepresented in a community of people many of whom were there to disrupt the gospel. They were famous for it. They would come in and they would tell people, you must be living out the law. You must go back to the law. You must adhere to it. You've got to stay faithful to it or you'll get nowhere with God. And in fact, you're going to have to be circumcised. You're going to have to go all the way to all the regulations in the law because that's how we rise to our acceptability to God, our justification. We do it on our own. We climb there by our own work of following the standard given by God. That was in and of itself foolishness because by no works of the law shall any flesh be acceptable to God, justified. You, there's nothing you can ever do. Sinners are sinners by nature. They're corrupt. They're condemned. That's who we are. We're born that way. We're done for at conception. Doesn't matter how many years you live, how many different ways you want to dress up the religion of it, how many different ways you want to be morally, in your mind, better than others. All you can do is filthy before God. Peter, when he got around the community of believers, was playing both ends against the middle. On the one hand, he was all about grace and all about faith when the Gentiles were there because he knew better. He knew you're not saved by works. And then when the Jewish community got there and this, the churches started to mingle, Peter gravitated over toward them as if to legitimize 
their attempt to work for justification. And Paul says here that he opposed, verse 11, Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. There were a bunch of Jews that joined him in his hypocrisy. It is, of course, called out as hypocrisy. Peter, you know better. Even his uh, sweet friend Barnabas was caught up into it. Verse 13. And when I saw, Paul says, that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. There it is. You're not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. We're justified by faith in Christ, he says in verse 16. And not by the works of the law. Verse 17, if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? Man, you can't claim Christ and then be working your way to heaven as a person unjustified. Now you're involving Christ and his name in your human righteousness. That's a disaster. So that is why he says... In verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. That's right. The law demanded righteousness. Somebody's got to pay the price. I can't pay the price without spending eternity in punishment. I can't do it. That would be the cost. So through the upholding of the law, righteousness will fall. Righteous judgment will fall upon me if there's no substitute. But if there's a substitute, then through that very law, I can now live to God. How? How? There's a legitimate question. How is it we live when it is, of course, Christ that rose from the dead? Verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. That's how. I've died with Christ. And it is no longer I who am living, but Christ lives in me. Now you have a reference to the power that makes this happen. The Spirit of Christ himself, the Holy Spirit. He now lives in, Paul says, he lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And the nature of this redemption is that the son loved me and gave himself up for me. So I don't nullify the grace of God. If righteousness came through the law, then Christ died needlessly. No, I, I uphold and promote and believe in and live for this great sacrifice that Christ made. That's how we live. Here in the death of Christ, I live. So how did that occur? Well, look over at Romans 6 for a moment. You'll see the path when you get there because we've traipsed through this field before, this text before, and it's well-worn. You can't say that the sin in your life is more powerful than the grace. He had just finished saying in chapter five, grace abounds far more. So if you're in Christ, how can you still live as a customary pattern in the love of sin and the love of the old life? 
How can a Christian still live in it? If you've died to this powerful bondage, you're dead to it now, freed from it, then how would you, how would you still go after it as if it were your, your comfortable way of living, as if you're dominated by it? And the obvious answer is that's, that's just not possible. Verse 3 then, or don't you know? So here, here he's going to plug in the information we need. Don't you know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus have been immersed into his death? <laughs> when the Lord convicted you of sin, and he did it, you would never know unto salvation, your need of a savior without the conviction of the Holy Spirit enough to get you there, to soften, to draw you to Christ, to help you see your need, to put that need so heavily upon you that you're heavy laden and burdened with it and you desperately need a savior. It is the spirit of God alone that brought you to that place. And when he brought you to that place, then he moved to open your eyes and open your heart, as Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, to make you alive from your old condition, which was spiritual deadness, lifelessness. He made you alive, and in that act, that supernatural act, came your repentance and faith. And you repented and you turned to Christ <clears throat> at that point Paul is describing here what happened you were immersed into his death that's how Paul can say in Galatians 2 I'm crucified with Christ I wasn't there 2,000 years ago I didn't exist yet Jesus Christ was on the cross 2,000 years ago <clears throat> he's the one excuse me that died on the cross the Spirit of God at my conversion immersed me into union with that substitutionary act. He immersed us in it fully, completely, so that our spiritual heart and mind and inner life, our soul, changed in its constitution, its makeup, transformed from death to life. And Paul says, I, I don't want you to miss this. Don't you know that all of us who've been immersed into Christ Jesus have been immersed into his death? You've died to the old thing. The Spirit did that. And therefore, having been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that is the power of the Father, the character of the Father, the infinite uh, majesty and glory of the Father, that is the power that brought it about. And as Christ was raised through that power, so we too might walk in a new life. The whole point here is you have new life. The Spirit of God is new life. Go over to John's gospel for a moment. John chapter 14. Again, another familiar field within which we have traipsed around. <clears throat> John 
One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, verse 18 of John 14. John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. <laughs> I will come to you. Now, he's talking to his disciples, and he's about to leave. He keeps telling them he's going to leave, and they only know one way to live, that is with Christ. They only know one protector, one refuge, and it is the Messiah. They only know one promise that's being fulfilled as he has arrived now. And all the prophet's words are terminating in this wonderful friend they've had, this counselor they've had, this, this one who protects them from the enemy, and this one who stumps the Jewish leaders in all their arguments, this one who preaches on the hillside and, and brings food out of a small lunch. That's all they know. And he has said, I'm leaving. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I don't know what they experienced hearing that in that moment. But it had come on the heels of a promise. Here's how I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to ask the father... Remember, he had just said to them, if you ask anything in my name, the Father will give it to you. Well, they now know, well, if Jesus asks the Father for something, it's going to happen. I love the way the Lord just in such precision builds their comfort, builds their confidence, renews their mind and their thinking, makes it supernatural. He just said, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'm going to ask the Father. And this is just this wonderful beginning to build in their minds that you are in union with me as I am in the Father. All that language that's going to be penned in the next three chapters. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Oh, don't you love that? Dan was praying about it a little bit ago, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that tonight as we talk about change, transformation. Sometimes I think we live... In a, in a moment by moment daily life without the thought that the Spirit of God in all of the divine power that that affords the believer lives within us as a helper. You know the terminology. How many sermons have you heard on the paraclete, the comforter, all these ways that we're in our finite mind trying to define the the manifold definitions for, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And here is Jesus saying, he's going to be with you forever. I'm going to send him. I'm going to ask the Father, the Father's going to send him. And I'm going to send him on the Father's behalf, he will say later. So you have the Father sending him. You have the Son sending him. Why? Because I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. And then he says, 
I won't leave you as orphans. He doesn't say the Spirit's going to come to you. He's already said that. He says, I will come to you. So now we know who the Spirit is. This is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ himself. This is the third member of the triune Godhead. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to be with you forever. His presence. Every moment of your life since your conversion is a result of the Spirit of God drawing you, convicting you, granting you life, making you alive, bringing about your repentance and faith, calling you into the family, and he had no intention of doing that and then leaving. He did that to stay forever. We have the presence of Christ in us. Staggering. Absolutely rich. Verse 17, he describes it. This is the spirit of truth. So now we know what, again, was prayed for moments ago. He's our teacher. He's the spirit of truth. If you want to know truth, you... You engage with the powerful spirit of God within you who takes your mind and renews it according to truth, as we'll expand upon tonight. The world can't receive him. What what does that mean? That means unless they repent, unless they believe, unless they are made alive, they can't see the work. They're still all about the suppression of truth to exalt human self. The world isn't, cannot, is not able to receive the spirit of truth. It does not see him or know him. Why is Jesus making such a stark contrast? Because of the next phrase. But you know him. You know him. Oh, there's so much talk going on on the Trinity right now. It's, ooh, let's talk about the Trinity. Let's get all fancy about the Trinity. I love this statement. Every Christian knows the Holy Spirit. Somebody asks you, do you know all about the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm learning from Scripture, but I know Him. I know Him personally. He lives inside of me. And I know His ministry. I'm learning more and more from the Scriptures about His ministry. (laughs) But I know Him. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. They knew the old covenant that the spirit of God empowered and anointed and did ministry and protected and did all of God's bidding to preserve the remnant of his people. Now in the new covenant, you are going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, the residing place of the spirit of God. Power within. That is the new covenant work. That's how I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Wow. Ephesians 1, by the way, says that you're sealed in him. He's the, he's the down payment, this, the text in Ephesians 1 says. He's the, you know, the original language, Araban. He's the down payment, the, we sometimes say, the symbol of engagement, the engagement ring of this great marriage. We've been betrothed to Christ. We have a new husband, Romans 4 says. 
and the Spirit is the seal of it. You have him, and you know him. So verse 19, after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you're going to see me because I live, you'll, you'll live also. You're going to see me come out of the grave and go into my exalted place, and I have been abiding with you, telling you everything, protecting you, taking care of you, comforting you, encouraging you. I've been telling you where you're wrong. I've been convicting you of your wrong thinking. I've been pulling you out of your drift back into your old lifestyles and your old things. I've been doing that, Jesus said. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, verse 25. But this helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Don't make any mistake. There is nothing that is missing in the written revelation of Christ because it is the written revelation of him who is the revelation of God. And he said, the Spirit will come and teach you all things. To assume that there's something more to say than the Holy Spirit has already said is to assume that Jesus missed it. He didn't deliver the whole thing. It doesn't say the Spirit is going to add things that Jesus didn't already reveal. It says that the Spirit is going to bring to their remembrance all that he said. And he's going to take it and teach all of his people because we know him. So it's not just his presence forever, it's his full instruction. That's why we go to the Word of God. It is the Spirit's work. You know, the Bible isn't merely, uh, our, our English Bible isn't merely copies of ancient manuscripts which are in museums as artifacts. This is a miracle, a supernatural work. Why did the Spirit give it? Same reason you would have had if you had been standing there with the Lord Jesus and he was sitting there around the fire instructing you in the truth. Same thing. He's with you forever. His presence is in us and he has given full instruction in his word and he teaches his people. He inspired them to write it and teachers and pastors gifted by Christ, empowered by the Spirit, study it and teach it, and you having the Spirit within you, 1 John 2, you take it, you check it by the Scriptures, and your mind begins to be illumined by the Spirit of God as to the truthfulness of it and its implications for our lives. He's still comforting. He's still encouraging. He's still walking with us. Christ himself in his Spirit is with his people. I think sometimes we live like that's not true. We forget that we have his presence forever and his full instruction. Furthermore, verse, go, go down to chapter 15, verse 26. The third of these five references, just as we're sort of covering some familiar ground. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. So now you have the Father sending him on behalf of Christ. Now you have the Son sending the Spirit from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Here's, here's what else we have in the Spirit. He's going to testify about me. It's all about the revelation of Jesus Christ in the good news of the gospel that rescues us from wrath. 
that frees us from our bondage, that seals us in the kingdom, that illumines our minds, that immerses us into the death of Christ so that we can be forgiven. This is all the Spirit's work. He is constantly pointing to this great work of redemption and the truth that pointed to it in the Old Testament, that described it in the historic documents of the Gospels when Christ was on the earth and in the New Covenant explained to us how to live since Christ has gone to his place in glory and we have his presence in us to live it out. All of that is the work of the Spirit given to us and he never leaves. He is the presence of Christ with us forever. And Jesus didn't even tell him this till later in his ministry. Look at chapter 16, verse 4. These things I've spoken to you so that when that hour comes, you're going to remember that I told you of them. And I didn't say them to you at the beginning because I was with you. I was taking care of you. I was your comfort. I timed these things exactly as I wanted to time them. Beloved, that's what I mean when I say sometimes we live every moment of every day like he's not there, but he's timing everything in our lives exactly as he desires for the greatest benefit, the greatest encouragement, the greatest instruction, the greatest chastening, the greatest purifying, the greatest sanctifying. He's doing all that in the meticulous timeliness of the way the Lord himself, when he was on the earth, did it with the disciple. He's the one who comes alongside. He's the helper of the same kind, another helper of the same kind. He's the spirit of Christ. Having him with us is the same as having Jesus right there with the disciples. That is the point. And he's always bearing witness of this great work of redemption. That means everything that he's doing in our life is pointing toward the great work he wants to do in us for the sake of testifying about Christ, for the sake of helping us remember redemption. The Spirit of God does a unique unifying work even around the celebration of the Lord's table. Why? Because he's testifying about our Messiah. We don't do this because somehow it's on every church schedule to do this. It's not part of our church polity that drives it. We do this because Jesus, our Savior, said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And when we do it, we know the Spirit is actively ministering in our midst to, to strengthen us in it. That's why it never gets old. We could do it every week or we could do it once a year or twice a year. It wouldn't matter. It never gets old. Because it is the Spirit of God energizing us and refreshing us in a timely way when we celebrate the Lord's table. We've been immersed into his death, freed, and we have his presence and his instruction, and he's testifying of this great work of redemption. Further in chapter 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So he's going to go forward on our behalf and on 
behalf of this great work of redemption to bring conviction, to help the world see the light of the gospel through God's people as we testify. He's going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe. They must be convicted. The Spirit of God has to do this work or nobody gets redeemed. And nobody's rebellion is as exposed as bad as it is without the Spirit's conviction. At which they double down. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Yeah, Jesus went off the earth and suddenly the standard of righteousness in the person of Christ was gone. Yeah, the Spirit's got to come and sanctify us because we are the delegated vice regents on the earth. And he's making us into the likeness of Christ. That brings conviction. And he's going to convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. What does that mean? That means that the power of the evil one over the globe is diminished as God is saving his people and Satan has no power over us showing his judgment. His judgment is secure and it is proven by the redemption of God's people because God promised it and he can't stop it. That's the point. I love that. And so it's an inner work. You can't see what the Spirit's doing in some metaphysical way, but it is an inner life convicting work that he's constantly doing. And then finally in verse 13, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. For he'll not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he'll disclose to you what is to come. There is such an intimate union between us and Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that we, we begin to think and understand Christ's thoughts after him. It is from him. And it will move God's people not only into the truth, but what the truth ultimately means about what is to come. And that is so true. The Spirit of God is constantly reminding us when we're drifting back into old ways. Look, that is not why I saved you. I saved you for glory. I saved you for the long haul. I saved you for eternity. I saved you to look like Christ. That's what Paul meant in Philippians when he said, I forget what lies behind and I press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm focusing on because that's what the Spirit is constantly doing in this union that he has given to us with Christ. J.I. Packer said that the work of the Holy Spirit is distinctive, constant, and mediates Christ's presence to believers. Beloved, we are to live in the ever-conscious presence of Christ because His Spirit lives in His people. And he hasn't left us as orphans, and he's with us forever, and he's doing this great work, having immersed us in Christ, 
and into the death of Christ so that we're no longer in bondage to those old things. And we now have his presence. We are sealed in it. We have his full instruction and encouragement and counsel and wisdom and conviction. It always points us to the plan of redemption, testifying about Christ. It's an inner work of conviction, and it is moving us toward this great consummation of all things, what is to come. And we're swept up in it. You, you can't be lost from it. How precious is this great work. Back to Galatians 2 for a moment. With all of that in your mind, now think about what Paul says here. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. That's right. It's not the old me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So it would be foolish as he chides them in chapter 3, verse 1. It would be foolish to go back and imagine some other way to make myself into something. It's deadly. It's dangerous. It's satanic. It's demonic. You live this life by faith in the Son of God, whom you know by the grace of the Holy Spirit loved you. And he gave himself up for us. Spirit is doing unique things then when we celebrate around the Lord's table. When Paul was talking about the fact that it was an ordinance given to him to give to the church and he taught the church the ordinance because it had been given to the disciples in that upper room. And he delivered the same command to them to do this in remembrance of the Lord Jesus as often as they do it. He had, he had said to the Corinthians that this is a convicting of our hearts about the great work of redemption again. This is a great rejoicing out of that conviction with gratitude because we are dead to the old and alive to God. We're sealed. We can't be lost. And every time we celebrate it, the Spirit of God is moving uniquely to illumine our minds and help us be encouraged and yet challenged and convicted and clean up the old remnants of the old life, throw off the old clothes, get rid of the prison chains. He's calling us to greater likeness to Christ every time. Are you crucified with Christ? Are you in him?
you've never really repented and believed. There's no real deep down love for Christ. You, you may be like God's people, but you've never actually repented. You need to plead God's mercy. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Like the outcast standing not too far from a Pharisee in prayer, Jesus mentions. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Nothing. Remember me. I don't deserve it, but if you and your mercy would grant it, I have no case to make on my own behalf. I just... I ask you to forgive me for being a rebel and I'm in need of a savior and you said you'd save and so I confess that you died and rose from the dead and to save sinners like me. If you would be merciful to me, that's what you must do. Everything else is a sham. But if you do that, he won't leave you as an orphan. He'll be with you forever. Bow with me. Lord, as we come around your table, as we prepare to pass the bread, this great work that you have done is a marvel to us. The same power that raised you from the dead, the same power that created the universe resides in us by your Spirit. We are, as believers, a temple, every one of us, your temple. And you're doing all these great works, sealing us and teaching us, encouraging us, protecting us, guarding our faith, strengthening us, helping us see our sin, softening us to the truth, and helping us to remember the, the wonderful gift of being immersed into Christ Having died with him, we now live for you. This is rich and overwhelming. As we celebrate your table, draw us together in unity by your spirit. Every one of us is your temple in which you dwell, and yet when together as a corporate body, there, there is your dwelling with your people. It is unique. We're drawn together by your holiness, your character, your words, your truth. Unify us in this celebration of the bread and the cup. May our hearts be right before you, our consciences clean.